Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 133. Today, we are appreciating teachers by reflecting on the qualities of some of our favorite teachers from the past. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA sections, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And it's time for our highs and lows from the teaching week. Um, How's it been going, Carrie? Um, good. I had a good week. I had a choir concert this last week that went very well. I was very pleased with all of that. And now choir is done. The week before that, there was a talent show that I was more involved in than I wanted to be, but that went really well. So it's like I'm checking things off the list, which feels really good. Um, but I actually want to talk about a low note today. And, you know, it's just a recognition of all the emotional ties that go into being a teacher. So all that said, um, yesterday I went and stopped by my former school, the school I was at before this school, because that school is closing. So within our district, we had a big consolidation of schools moment going on. We have how many schools? 14? 16? 16. 16 elementary schools. They're calling it a consolidation because I think that softens the blow a little bit, you know, and and I support it. I understand why it needs to happen when you have a bunch of schools that are only being used to a portion of their capacity. It's a huge drain on resources and money. And and I get it because that's why I was a traveling teacher for a couple of years because my school could not support full-time teachers. Anyways, all that to say, so the school I was at last year is one of the schools that is closing and my former students at that school will be going to another school just down the road a little bit. So they had a celebration, you know, uh, uh, let's honor the history of this school. It was built back in the, oh, see, I should know this because I was there, but I, I unfortunately I could only be there for a small amount of time, but I wanna say it was the 60s, the early 60s, late 50s or early 60s. And um, the current principal really did a lot of cool research leading up to this where he had blueprints from the original school. They had photos from all different eras of the school. Many former teachers and students came and community members. And it was just, it was a really cool thing, but it was just a really sad thing too. And I think it just really brings up the fact that when a school closes for whatever reason, there's a lot of emotional ties that go with that. So just wanted to put it out there. If you've been at a school that's closing if you're at a school that's closing, it's a hard thing to go through. But, um, you know, it's a necessary thing in the evolution of schools sometimes. And sometimes it's just closing a building and opening a new building. You know, if the, they have to tear down an old building and open a new one. There's just so much that goes into like an actual physical building. It's kind of an interesting emotional tie that we have. So anyways, it was a it was a bittersweet moment. It was nice to be able to see some former colleagues and students and everything when I was there, but it was also sad. So, you know, that's that. So that's my low note I wanted to go with today. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be hard for a lot of communities going through. It is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's a big thing happening in our district because we are such a large district. I know for some people who are listening, they're like 16 schools that would <laughs> wipe out our entire district. Well, we're a, we're a district of currently over 90 elementary schools, but it was yeah. time to make some big changes for the financial stability of our district as a whole. So it's hard, but it's, it is what's best for kids. I do believe that, um, but it's hard in the meantime. So totally. Yeah. All right, Tanya, what about you? Well, um, I was actually just going to mention this time last week, I presented for the Kodai chapter Peace Corps, the plain state organization um, of Kodai uh, teachers. And it was just a wonderful, welcome environment. They have some really great teachers out there. Um, it was just so nice to see people in person uh, such a positive community, and I was just very pleased that I got to go and do that. Thank you, everybody at Peace Corps. Um, I had a great time. They were very welcoming, and I just, like I said, love seeing people in person, love moving and playing games and singing, and uh, you just can't beat in-person um, things. I mean, we there's lots of quality things that I've seen via zoom in the past few years of course but boy being in person is is just awesome the way okay. to go awesome so today's main theme is going to be all about teacher appreciation because teacher appreciation week is coming up soon and so we're going to be reflecting on some of the teachers in our lives that we appreciate and just qualities of of great teachers so we can take those lessons into our own teaching world but before we do we also just want to make mention that we understand this is the end of the year and you might be looking for some specific ideas and strategies for the end of the year um we've talked about this topic many a time so tanya is gonna mention some past episodes if you're looking for those kind of ideas right now right and all of these will be on our blog um with our show notes yeah uh, yeah so we have episode 111 which was wrap it up where we talk about um, specific things you should be doing at the end of the year, including some of our favorite songs, games, activities to do with students at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, number 90, your future self will thank you where we dive into organizational things that you can do to tidy up the, and close out the end of the year. But um, also, to uh, set yourself up for success for the next year. And then number 15, way back when, before the pandemic, uh, we have an episode called Closure, which is, you know, a little bit of both of those things as well. And as we were planning for this specific episode, um, I was listening to our past episodes around this time of year and saying, yeah, well, we did mention specifics that we love to do with kids and it's time for something, a fresh take. And since, like we mentioned, it is teacher appreciation coming up, what better time for us to talk about things that we've appreciated in our past teachers um, and how that has instructed our current teaching practices? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to start by talking about some of my favorite teachers, Tanya. Okay. <laughs> 
So I want to give a shout out to a teacher that I was blessed to have twice, uh, Alice Fox, who is still a dear friend of mine. She was actually a family friend, is a family friend. So we've kept in touch via Facebook. And I mean, I'm sure she's not listening to this podcast, but if for some reason she does, Alice Fox is always someone that comes to my mind when I think about favorite teacher. I had her in fourth grade and then she looped up and I ended up having her again in sixth grade because that was the time when sixth grade was still elementary school and that was the norm. And specifically in fourth grade, what I remember now and I reflect back on now as a teacher is how she has this ability to put students first in a way that I've not seen done as well ever. Um, so specifically, this is my memory of fourth grade. There was a, a boy in our class who, you know, as a student came off as the class clown. He was the kid who was always goofing around, always joking around, always distracting other people. And whether that was because he was struggling academically or had some behavioral things going on within him that he couldn't control, I don't know. As a fellow student, I don't know. All I know is that he bugged me because I was little Miss Goody Two-Shoes and he was taking away from my learning time and it bothered me. But here's where Mrs. Fox came in. So when he would get mad or upset or whatever, he would often retreat, I think I've told you this story, Tanya, underneath this table in the classroom. Cause you talked about how you had a student in your class who did the same thing, right? So he would go under this table. So she started calling that his cave. <laughs> and so she would let him stay down there and continue learning. And keep in mind, this is back in the 1980s where maybe that wasn't the norm for a lot of teachers, right? Like kids were very much expected to sit in desks in straight little rows. And she was like, fine, stay under there as long as you're learning and working and you know, do your thing. But then it blossomed into this whole big thing. So she took like butcher paper you know, like the big paper from the bulletin board hallway thing. And she made like a literal facade of a cave going over the table. So it was like a hole and he could like crawl into it. And he had all of his stuff in there. And I remember at the time thinking like, that's fine. Like I wasn't jealous of that because then here's what she did. She created in our classroom, this whole magical world. And we called it the circle continent. And so the whole idea was we each got to have our own persona. We got to create a character. So she created this whole thing for our classroom. And I, it seemed like it was the whole year, but I'm sure it was just one part of the year. But she tied in math because we had to figure out the circle continent. We had to divide the continent into four quadrants and figure out the ratios and figure out the sizes and all that. She tied in geography because each of the sections of the circle continent had very specific geography geography and climate and animals and we tied in ecosystems to it. She tied in government. So within the circle continent, we had countries and then we had presidents and we learned about basic forms of government. And it was all inspired, as I remember as a student, by this one student just needing a little extra something in his life. But because of that, we all had this like magical fourth grade where it just felt like make believe the whole time, but we learned so much along the way. So from what I remember as a student and now thinking about it as a teacher, it's like that sense of playfulness, putting students first, and then creating your classroom culture around it. That's an extreme version that I wouldn't necessarily say is recommended for everyone, but it made a huge impact on me. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I think she could write a whole book on what she did with Circle Continent. And, you know, later on, a lot of those students, you know, we continued on to middle school and high school together. And we still talk about that class. And we tried to have like a little reunion one summer and I couldn't go because I live out here in Colorado now. But, you know, we all talk about that year and, and how much it meant to us. And I don't know if she ever repeated it with another class. I'm sure she did similar things because that's just her personality. But man, we had so much fun. It was so cool. So then I want to talk about a high school teacher that I had who had a big impact on me. George Harnish was my theater teacher. And sadly, our dear George passed away a couple years ago from some medical complications. But, um, you know, and I really only became close to him in my senior year of high school because we had another theater teacher before. And then George um, was like more the tech theater, theater person until my senior year and then really became the director of the shows. And what I really learned from him is again just fostering passion and creativity so my story from george is that you know i would loved being a music theater kid i had the lead in the musical junior year so then senior year came along and we were going to do the show the fantastics and i was like oh that's still my role um what's her name louisa louise whatever the the female soprano role that is. Show. yeah I was like, I can totally do that part. I can sing it. I have that range. And so I worked my butt off on that song in my private lessons and I auditioned and then the cast list was posted and I wasn't that role and I wasn't anywhere in the cast list. And it's a very small cast granted, but I wasn't in it at all. And, and then on the bottom, I remember a little Carrie Zimmerman, my maiden name, come and see me. And I was so mad. And I remember walking into his office and being a total diva and being furious and saying, I can't believe you didn't give me a part in the musical. It's my senior year. It's my last show, blah, blah, blah. And I remember him talking me down and saying, well, here's what I'd really like for you to do. I'd like for you to be my musical director. And I'd like for you to be the one who really works with the singers. I'd like for you to accompany the show because I played piano much better back then than I do now. I'd like for you to organize the, the pit ensemble that we need. And that's what I did. And I was mad about it for a long time. Um, but the lessons learned through that because he saw in me that I was a teacher and he knew I wanted to be a teacher. And so just that whole experience of being able to have that role as a senior and, uh, and hone those skills was incredible. So he saw something in me, even though I knew I did want to be a teacher. I mean, I knew that, but I didn't want to be a teacher yet. I wanted to still just play and have fun in high school, but he taught me that I could do both, you know? So anyways, cool guy. And I always remember in my uh, yearbook, he wrote, do what you love and the money will follow. So it's all about, you know, follow your passion and creativity. Don't worry about making money, which we know as teachers is a sad reality of our job. But anyways, dear George, I love him very much. And then my final teacher I want to give a shout out to is Ann Eisen, who was my level three uh, Kodai pedagogy and folk song analysis instructor at the Colorado Kodai Institute back in 2005. Um, and if you recognize the name Ann Eisen, look on your cover of American Methodology because she co-authored that book with Lamar Robertson, which is, you know, just one of the the steadfast books within our Kodai inspired world. And what I learned from Anne was just a deep love of pedagogy and, you know, the importance of pedagogy in being an amazing teacher, because without that structure and without really knowing where you want to take your students and where you want to go, 
there is no joy in your classroom. The joy comes from the structure. And sometimes that doesn't seem like the way you want to go. Sometimes you just want to go and play and sing and have fun. But there needs to be a structure. There needs to be a bigger why behind it. And so my work with Anne and just really learning the importance of pedagogy within a music education classroom has obviously carried through because it's a very strong passion of mine, pedagogy. I'm going to be teaching level three pedagogy myself this summer in Seattle. And so, you know, I just appreciate all the lessons I've learned from her, from that class, from her materials. She just received, you know, one of the Lifetime Achievement Awards from Oak this last year, and it's so well-deserved. So shout out to Ann Eisen. Again, I doubt she listens to this podcast, but if she does, thank you so much, Ann, because you've taught me so much about the importance of pedagogy and structure within a joyful classroom. So there wow. you go. Those are my people. Okay. How about you, Tanya? Oh, man. Um. Well, I am going to um, talk about specifically from my college undergrad days um, and my graduate school days. And I, not to say I didn't have wonderful teachers in my elementary, uh, middle school, high school. Um, well, for one thing, I cannot remember a lot of specifics. You were just talking about fourth grade, you know, when you were beginning to talk about uh, your first teacher, Alice Fox. And, and I honestly, I cannot tell you what my life was like in fourth grade. So well, I, I don't, I don't have this memory. I What's think that? this is because of the impact she had. I don't remember exactly. every other class. So there you go, but right. I get it. Yeah. I and so I've got that, you know, that I, I don't re really remember specifics. And I will tell you for high school, um, I uh, honestly, I did not have... I think I've got a negative negativity bias and maybe it's the time of year right now or the time of my life right now. But when I think back to high school, I do not have, I have warm and fuzzy feelings from um, friend groups and choir and theater. But as far as classes go, I was not, um, uh, what's the, I, I just was not, I don't think I was encouraged very well in high school. I, I have some very negative uh, memories about, especially school counselors who did not have much of a, uh, uh, did not push me, did not, was, were, were not, I, I was, I was not a favored person. I was, I tried to be a, a goody two shoes, like you say, a student, but I was a very mediocre student. And I did not get specific encouragement from anyone I can list in high school. Nice. So, uh, but like, you know, how Kodai was inspired by, oh, I heard some school children singing and it sounded so horrible. And I thought we need to change. I honestly think that my whole drive in teaching, a lot of it uh, comes from, wow, I wasn't supported like I think I could have been, should have been as a student. And I want to do better than what was done for me. Yeah. Um, however, I do have some quality teachers that I want to talk about. Actually, an elementary music, uh, not music, an elementary teacher I had, uh, Sue Magnuson, who looped, I think, from second grade to third grade. And I don't have specific stories. Just I remember how kind she was oh. and how... Um, to everyone. Um, 
I do remember specifically, I, I used to get sore throats and I used to get strep all the time in elementary school. And it was around Christmas time. So here, here's a tiny little thing. And she was given like a giant candy cane from a student. Um, and I had the worst sore throat, but I was still at school and didn't know it was strep yet, but I, I'm pretty sure it was strep. And I was just miserable. And she let me, um, she, she gave me, she chipped off bits of this giant candy cane for me to suck on and just let me kind of be at my desk with my head down Aww. and allowed that to happen. Yeah. So, you know, just, just the kindness of that. Um, so that's, that's about all I got for elementary school. But uh, in my undergrad in college, I had a wonderful choral choir director, Dr. Galen Darrow, who recently retired. And it's funny because I, I can't talk about any of my teachers and say Galen Darrow. I mean, I am. But if I talk to him, if I see him at our state music conference, I say, oh, Dr. Darrow, how are you doing? And he'll say, Tanya you can call me Galen now. And I say, I I can, but I can't. So, you know, anybody who is Dr. Anybody or Miss or Mr. Anybody, that's it. If someone was my teacher, I it's very hard for me to let go and like refer to them on a first name basis, right? right. Unless we started that way. So Dr. Darrow, he was also extremely kind. He picked wonderful repertoire for our mixed choir in college. And I also had him for conducting, um, for choral music pedagogy. And he was just so kind, always with a smile. And so as far as um, things that I wanna embody that's sometimes hard to remember is that when teachers or professors are angry with students, and this is not Dr. Darrow at all, this is other people, when you are angry with entire classes or students, individuals, the memory that I have of teachers or whoever getting angry is not what made them angry and whether that was justified, but just the anger. Mm -hmm. So this is something I try to keep in mind, even yeah. though it's challenging. Yeah. So when, when students try to push my buttons, um, I try to remember, okay, well, What's the feeling that's going to come out of this? Because that's what's going to stay. Not that so-and-so teacher had every right to be angry because something horrible was transpired from the students, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's what we remember. We remember the feeling that we have from a person more than we remember specific incidents and whether or not anger was justified. Right. So anyway... Right. That's something that I try to hold on to because I, I think about um, some other teachers that I had that just seemed stern and angry a lot. Mm -hmm. And maybe they had good reasons, but I don't, I just remember the anger. Uh, so Dr. Darrow was not that. He was always smiling, always kind, always um, looking out for the best interests of students. And um, I, I'm just very fortunate that I, got to study with him. Um, I want to mention as far as joy and kindness, Joe Kirk, who is my level one teacher, Kodai teacher, and yours in pedagogy and folk song analysis. And a lot of people talk about Miss Joe and the joy and how that was her number one 
joy above all, the joy of music making, the joy of playing. This is the role of the child. This is what they should be doing. This is how they learn. But I really want to focus in on one thing that I took away from my level one was Joe Kirk kept coming back to the research mm-hmm. and stressing and pointing out, okay, well, we have this research research that shows exactly how a student a child learns music and she always brought it back to the research. And, and that was huge for me because in my undergrad, I don't feel like I had enough of that. And it just really opened my eyes to, Hey, this is solid evidence and we should be following this. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to also mention another professor I had, actually, she was a grad student at the time, Kanetra Miller. Um, she's a wonderful jazz singer. She is still teaching right now. She is a um, doctor, Kanetra Miller, Miller, and I'm not sure where she is. I had looked it up, uh, but she was a vocal jazz director that I had, and she really gave this big impression of the passion for the music that you're performing. So she loved jazz, loved vocal jazz specifically, and it was just so inspiring to work with her because she was really committed to stylistically what's supposed to happen when we're singing jazz. So I was part of an acapella jazz group where we did not just acapella music, but jazz specifically. Um, and Kanetra just had a real passion for that and was able to get that out of the vocal group. Um, and I just... I, I loved watching her and listening to her talk about jazz. And um, she really gave a, a great examples of how, you know, you, you could, for your adrenaline and excitement, go out, jump out of planes or do some really challenging uh, extreme sport. And she would say, but for me, when I am improvising vocally in a live performance, that's my adrenaline. Um, and she really brought that out of all of her singers about how, hey, there's an art to this, but also this is a very exciting thing just for the love of, of jazz and the love of being able to think on your feet and improvise. And I didn't get that anywhere else. So I, I loved that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we do wish all of you teachers out there a happy Teacher Appreciation Week. We understand that there are lots of different ways to show teachers appreciation, having worked in nice. Title I schools for a very long time and now in a school that is not a Title I school and has a very strong PTA. Um, I'm seeing the differences <laughs> right in front of my eyes between different oh ways gosh, that I was yes. appreciated. But I can say, and I'm sure you agree, Tanya, that a lovely little drawing or note written from a student is just as meaningful as a potluck lunch, if not more. So, you know, if you're feeling down because, you know, your school doesn't do a lot of teacher appreciation stuff and you see your colleagues who are getting all sorts of goodies, just remember it's it's about the kids. <laughs> and then at the same time, yeah. if you're feeling like you want to give back um, in honor of teachers that you have, we have a great opportunity we'd like to put forth to you. So um, there are many organizations out there that support teachers. And one that is near and dear to our hearts is the Organization of American Kodai Educators. It is because of that organization that Tanya and I feel like we are the educators we are today, that we are able to have this podcast and give advice and, and give 
of ideas because of all of the sage wisdom we received from Kodai inspired educators, like we mentioned, Joe Kirk and Ann Eisen, and so many more um, through workshops, through Kodai levels, through the, the conference that we go to every year. So we uh, value this organization a lot. And if you value what we do, we ask you to give in honor of us or in honor of any teacher that you've had that has inspired you. And you can give to Oaks 2023 Annual Giving Campaign. We will go ahead and put that link in our show notes, and we'll put them on our Facebook page as well. Um, Oak is the annual giving campaign is set at twenty thousand dollars, which is a big ask from a teacher. Uh, driven organization we know but we also know the importance of these organizations and supporting supporting teachers through professional development and everything else so we as music teacher coffee talk will be giving two hundred dollars towards the oak annual giving campaign and we encourage you to give as well whether you're a member of oak or not anyone is able to give and again if you've ever had some inspiration or wisdom from this podcast we hope so if you're listening we ask that you consider giving in honor of us or again in honor of any of the teachers you've had in your lives so all of those links will be in our show notes yes give give and it's time for our no better do better segment carrie what you got So I want to bring up the topic, the casual topic of cultural appropriation once again. You know, it's it's such a big topic and it's really hard to wrap your brain around and understand. So um, this came up for me because um, a social media music education group that I'm a part of on Facebook, somebody mentioned cultural appropriation about a specific song. And I'm not going to talk about the specifics of the post because that's that person's business. But um, somebody then mentioned this resource as a good resource to help understand, explain, and just wrap your head around what cultural appropriation is and how it can present itself to us as educators. So this specific video I want to recommend, it's called the three P's of cultural appropriation. Um, And in this talk, I think it's 18 minutes long, he talks about three P's or three pillars of cultural appropriation. And I find his definitions and examples to be extremely helpful. So he talks about how to to be cultural appropriation, um, it needs to involve property, meaning cultural property. Um, It needs to involve privilege and profit. Now, I think where we as music music educators really need to be especially aware are the first two, um, because rarely what we do is necessarily for profit. But we do need to consider our place of privilege, especially as white music educators, speaking for myself as a white music educator. And then also just really understanding property, cultural property, and that's really where the research piece comes in, right? Where do these songs come from? Why have they evolved in the way that they have evolved? And when is it appropriate and when is it not appropriate to include these songs in my classroom? And it's not clear cut. There are not simple answers to these questions. So that's why we always talk about the importance of research. But I just find this video to be very helpful. I'm going to bookmark it and I'm going to come back to it anytime I'm having a question of, is this cultural appropriation? Is this something that I should or shouldn't do in my classroom? Because I feel like, again, his definitions, and that's, you know, it's not music education specific, but he does end up talking about blackface and he does talk about minstrel shows as examples um 
you know, within the the privileged area of his talk. So anyway, it's just a really great talk. I found it to be very helpful. So um, I'll I mention something oh, yeah, or please. ask you about something. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about profit as being something. And I haven't watched this. So you tell me if this was covered, but could profit be not just financial profit, but also profit as your reputation? Yeah, I suppose so. And I well, think, I'm thinking um, about like, if you yeah. are a music teacher and you do a blog post or you present a specific game and speaking as someone who has, of course, presented songs from other cultures like um you know could that could that be part of that I think so yeah because it's it's notoriety you know is is wrapped into profit as well I suppose so if you're gaining you know a following whether it's on Instagram or TPT or whatever or presentations yeah and again I mean it's always our go-to but it goes back to the research if you have thoroughly researched the song and you know and feel comfortable and especially if it's something that you've been given permission by whomever you learn that song from and you're giving credit where credit's due yeah. you know I think that solves a lot of the problems um I think where things get a little bit um dicey is in terms of you know dialect for example that's where things get really challenging um when it comes to authenticity of songs you know and you know this is when we go back to what brandy waller pace from decolonizing the music room says when in doubt leave it out if there's a song that i've done with students or i've done in a workshop well hopefully i've done it with students before i've done it in a workshop and somebody questions me or, or brings something to effect then i'm gonna stop doing it until i learn more you know and right. uh, that's not to say that i'll never do that song again but i think for us it's so much goes back to the research and also just remembering there is so much music out there and if there's a song that we need to let go to because we've learned new information and now that's causing us to say goodbye to that song that's okay too it's okay to have feelings about that yeah. but it's okay to say goodbye to it and these are all things we've talked about so much in this segment so yeah so you're right but I it's, did not, say it earlier. it's not black and white yeah. yeah you mentioned the dialect thing and that something is, is something recently that I've struggled with not yeah. songs that are problematic because of their subject matter or because of their specific lyrics but because of how they were passed on yeah. from collectors um who have even spelled words differently to reflect how it was sung in this specific region of the United States right right so that's something to to think about and I don't know you know I've got I can think of three songs right now that I do not know the answers for as far as like is it appropriate to do it this way should we rename the song or should we sing it with a different dialect and is is that forgetting about where it came from or i mean what, what's more respectful and and uh, you know i'm i'm i don't know i need to think through these things and collect more research on them and uh it's challenging it is yeah well, hopefully this video will be helpful, Tanya, and uh, 
you know, then you go down the YouTube rabbit hole where you see this video. And then on the sidebar, I saw like three more TED Talks specifically about cultural appropriation. So now it's like, oh, I've got more, you know, and again, they're not music education specific, but it's still so helpful in, in understanding what cultural appropriation is and how it shows up in our lives a lot. So, And can I, I'm sorry, I know I keep putting in little things. Can I mention one more thing, Facebook specific? Please. Or social media specific? Yeah. Um, one person chiming in of a specific uh, cultural identity group makes one person chiming in, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone jumps on a Facebook comment thread and says, well, I'm of such and such cultural group and I identify as this. And I think this particular song or this particular practice is fine by me. You've heard from one person of that group. Yep. hundred percent. And he even says that in his own TED talk, he says, I'm coming at it from the culture of he is a black man raised in the UK. And so, you know, there are some UK specific things in there, but he says, we are not a monolith. No culture is a monolith. I'm speaking mm -hmm. of my experiences and here are the thoughts I have to say about it. So that, that goes in all ways. You have to always remember that. Yeah. One person does not speak for their entire cultural group, but, exactly. um, but especially going back to the second P, if you are of a culture that has traditionally been of privilege, then it's important that you listen to the voices um, who have not, so. Yes, yes, for sure. So now it is time to work smarter, not harder. A little teacher tip from Tanya. Yeah. So this is not a tech tip, which a lot of our smart, work smarter, not harder are tech tips. Yeah. This is a in-person uh, analog tip. So, and something you probably already do or something that you've probably done in the past. And just a little reminder, because I've been using a lot of instruments, a lot of turn taking, of course, as I normally do. Um, but some way to differentiate about who has had who has gotten to play fill in the blank instrument or who has had a turn at fill in the blank game um is just a simple stand up sit down so let's say we're we're doing a play along together whether it be watching a video play along or just doing a real play along um i will say something like stand up if you have not gotten to play the hand drum part mm. sit down if you have um just just simple little things like that. Or even if I've done scattered games where we're all over the room for say younger, I'm thinking one of the ways that we do bell horses and I've got lots of ways I do bell horses, but one way is that I have some kids with jingles who are galloping and some kids without. And I'll just do a simple thing of if you've already had the jingle, sit down. If you have not stand up. Oh, those of you who have a jingle, go give it to someone standing up. Just a simple kind of really quick way to make sure more people have a turn. Awesome. And it's time for our CODA section where we are sharing something that we are enjoying in or out of the music room. Carrie. <laughs> I'm going to do an 
in the music room because I'm sad and I have not a lot going on outside right sad. now. This is why we're here. I mean, seriously, come on. No, I know. I mean, I have been watching television, but it's more reruns of things I've seen before and I'm reading a book, but I'm not done with it yet. And I don't want to recommend it till I know I want to recommend it. But anyways, all that to say, um, I'm going to recommend a picture book that I just picked up this year and I just think it's delightful. So it's Inch by Inch, otherwise known as The Garden Song. And this, inch. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, the song was written by David Mallet. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Um, and the pictures of this book are by Aura Eaton or Eiton. Um, and of course, I'll link to it in the show notes. But I have just always loved this song as a child. It's just one that I've just always loved. I think it's a delightful little song. And this picture book is very sweet. I just like the illustrations in it. Um, some of the sacred language has been changed to secular. So for example, instead of saying, um, God bless these seeds I sow, which I think is the original, at least that's how I remember it as a kid. Um, it's just changed to someone bless this seeds I sow. So if you've ever had any feelings about this, because it says God. There you go. In this particular version, it does not. Um, but in addition to the illustrations being really lovely, I haven't done this yet, but I'm seeing lots of really great opportunities for uh, text improvisation, vocal improvisation, instrumental improvisation, because on the inside cover, there's a whole array of fruits and vegetables and bugs and flowers and all different things one might find in a garden. So what a great oh, yeah. visual for students to be able to draw inspiration and ideas from, whether you're going to tie it into a song like Old Mr. Rabbit, who goes into the garden and eats lots of different fruits and veggies, you could pull it into that. Or if you're just doing a little simple improvisation game with your kids and you ask them, you know, what will you plant in your garden? And they can sing back a lovely little, I'd like to plant some carrots. Or in right. my world, um, this time of year is all about John the Rabbit in my kindergarten class. And yes, ma'am. Yep. Yes, ma'am. We're planting the garden and um, I'm doing the little seed song from the Amadons book. I'm growing up. So now I'm just mentioning all sorts of things. I'm going to put all these things in the show notes, I guess. But um, anyways, it's just another little garden, great springtime book because it's all about planting the garden and it's a great song. And, and Carrie, yeah. couldn't this be a great jumping off point for a concert or a program i mean right now it's too late if you haven't done that but thinking of next year if we're thinking about springtime mm -hmm. um could you take that book and uh, even read the book and intersperse songs in there and some music um improvisation or even yeah. composed things from students wouldn't that be a fun thing that would be awesome. That sounds so much like our topic from a couple of podcasts ago and our topic mm -hmm. that we presented at Oak about making your own programs. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. Garden yeah. themes. I mean, there's so many things you could do with that because you could tie in bugs and birds and food and rabbits and oh my gosh, you could, you could go completely bonkers with a program like that. Um, <laughs> in a yeah. Good that yeah. sounds really cute. But anyways, I'll, all inspired by this one book, Inch by Inch, The Garden Song. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's very sweet. Awesome. Okay, Tanya, how about you? Well, as everyone probably knows, this past week, Harry Belafonte passed away at the age of 96. And yeah. one of my very first concerts 
uh, was my parents taking me downtown to Betcher Concert Hall, and I got to see Harry Belafonte perform live. I think I was nine years old. So yeah, I know I'm dating myself, but that's that's life. Um, so Harry Belafonte loomed large in my childhood. Um, my parents played a lot of Harry Belafonte, so I'm very well versed. Um, live at Carnegie Hall, Harry Belafonte is, you know, one I I still know from beginning to end. And anyway, he was not just a wonderful musician, performer, but also very involved in the civil rights movement, marched with Martin Luther King, um, was one of the driving forces for We Are the World Africa back in the 80s, and definitely worth knowing about. Um, and I've already covered Harry Belafonte this year because I, I usually do. How, however, it is a wonderful opportunity to revisit Harry Belafonte's music. Uh, some wonderful things that you can do in your classroom is a simple movement to the song Jump in the Line. And mm-hmm. there's lots of breaks in there where you can emphasize the beat. Um also, Banana Boat Song, which everybody knows and loves. There is a great musication, play along Boomwhacker video that goes along with that. The lyrics are worth studying because it's not just a fun song, but also like a worker rights kind of plea. And if you dig into those li- lyrics, it's it's not all fun and games. Right. Um, though, bit, very meaningful uh, song. I wanted to specifically recommend Harry Belafonte's performances on The Muppet Show. I always show Deo because it's very fun, you know, seeing Fozzie Bear singing too long and too loud along with Harry Belafonte. But also Turn the World Around on The Muppet Show is a wonderful song for kids to see and hear. So, yeah, it doesn't take much of a deep dive to go and find wonderful Harry Belafonte resources to show to your students. And his music has been infused in our culture. Even, you know, kids know his music, even if they don't realize they know it. So um, definitely worth celebrating, commemorating is Harry Harry Belafonte and his legacy in so many ways. So big Harry Belafonte um, celebrations should be happening. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And today, instead of asking for anyone to buy us a coffee, we encourage you to show your appreciation for our work by donating to Oak's 2023 annual giving campaign. Look for that link in our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy music game.